Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Molly Rands. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We are very pleased to have Dan Lukasik, New York State Judicial Wellness Coordinator and creator of the nationally award-winning website, lawyerswithdepression.com, join us today. Dan, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners, please? Sure. Well, I was a trial lawyer for almost 35 years. I live in Buffalo, New York. Three years ago, I was appointed by our chief administrative judge in the off-court administration to be the judicial wellness coordinator, which started out just helping our 2,000 state Supreme Court judges and now has kind of expanded throughout the whole system, including court attorneys and administration staff. So there's about 15,000 of them across New York State. It's like a large corporation. That's my vocation. And in terms of why I'm here today, I've lived with major depression for about 20 years now, a third of my life. Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 40 years old. It was a very difficult thing to go through. And I think that at that time, I didn't know anybody with depression, let alone any lawyers with depression. And I think the stigma was very high at that time. It's gotten better, but it still exists, but very high. And I also didn't know when I was going through this, what was happening to me. I'd always experienced stress as a trial lawyer, sometimes anxiety, but never full-blown clinical depression. And something was going on with me at the time. And biggest symptoms I've had, I had where I, I was sad all the time, really despairing, which wasn't my personality. I'm a people person, and I was crying every day in, in private and sobbing and just sad all the time. This went on for months. The other thing, my sleep became fragmented. I couldn't sleep no matter how much I tried. I'd wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning, exhausted from dealing with depression, And for a while, I tried watching TV. That didn't work. So about 3 a.m., this went on for months, I'd shower, shave, get in my car, and go to an all-night coffee shop. I was the only one there every every night at that time, 3, 4 a.m. And I'd drink coffee. I'd look out the window, and I'd read old newspapers. I tried to, and I'd wait for the sun to come up, and then I'd drive to work and walk in the front door like nothing had ever happened happened. I think where the rubber met the road, where it really became a serious, serious issue is when my productivity in the workplace fell because the depression had affected my ability to concentrate, to read, to write. My energy levels plummeted. I tried to hide that as long as I could from my fellow partners in law firm, but eventually I just couldn't function. So that was the turning point painful turning point, but turning point. Dan, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your story with us. What do you see as some of the biggest mental health challenges facing the legal profession today? It's twofold. I think, you know, I look at this from a perspective over 20 years, you know, and I'm very fortunate to be here with you today to talk about this. But I think that in my mind, where a significant crossroads is what are law firms, law firm leaders going to do about the situation. The reason I say that is until pretty recently, the last few years, it was really seen as a lawyer's individual problem. 
the thinking is you take care of that before or after work. Law firms, law firm leaders didn't see any responsibility or role they had to play in uh, creating a healthy workplace that supported lawyer, lawyer well-being and mental health. The other thing that I think is still impacting a lot of lawyers is the sense of stigma. Some of it comes from, we think of stigma as outside of oneself, you know, disparaging remarks or snide remarks. And I experienced a lot of that 20 years ago. But I think more often than not, what we tend to see is people are much more educated about conditions like depression because it's everywhere. It's in the popular media. Many people know someone with depression. It might be a fellow lawyer. It might be a fellow law student or judge, or it might be their wife or adult child or elderly parent. So the general culture has made things a lot better. But I think stigma remains because it doesn't go along with the cultural image we have of lawyers as strong, successful, making a lot of money. You know, they're wearing their body armor. They don't have problems. You know, they're supposed to solve people's problems. So there's still a lot of stigma in that regard. So along those two points, I think the challenge now going forward is getting a lot of legal organizations to buy in, the leadership buy in, that they have a role to play and then to follow through and implement some of those changes. And then I think the other thing which is gaining, you know, that needs to happen is continuing dialogue not just about things about stress management and mindfulness. Those are good things. And I, I teach at our UB Law School. But also about these tougher subjects like anxiety, depression, problem drinking, which typically are not discussed. So I said to our dean when I proposed the course, I said, you know, if we don't address those tougher topics, what message are we sending to these young people, these law students? I mean, they know it's a problem. You know, we're not fooling anybody, but it sends the wrong message to law students as it does to lawyers if we don't deal with this. So, Dan, what are some of the causes that give rise to the mental health problems we're seeing today? Well, I think, you know, we think about chicken and egg or, you know, along those lines, you know, as that becoming a lawyer cause your depression. This is the way I kind of look at it. There are a number of risk factors that people have before they step foot in law school. Two biggest ones are, I think, genetics, family history, and along with that, a history of dysfunctional family, neglect, abuse, those kinds of things. I myself had both risk factors. My family tree is populated with mental health and addiction issues. My dad was an alcoholic who died of alcoholism when he was 56. 40 years ago now. So I grew up and he was a very angry, abusive alcoholic. So I went into the law with those risk factors. And I think what happens is then sort of like a perfect storm. You have people with those risk factors who then collide with the unique stressors in the law. I think chronic stress, I still think it's a win-loss game Even though we've had efforts in mediation arbitration, people aren't coming to see you typically because they're happy. 
So you deal with a lot of negativity. You're always on. And I think my view, you know, one of the biggest barriers we talk about is lawyers feel they don't have enough time to take care of themselves. They don't have the time. It's not that they don't know it's important or they want to. They just, they're never off, you know, so... Dan, it's been a difficult few years, to say the least. How do you think the pandemic has affected these problems? I think quite a bit, and I think the latest surveys bear that out. You know, in the general population, uh, depression and anxiety rates were double or triple what they were before. And I think that's fallen on, on lawyers pretty heavily because you already have a staggering amount of lawyers nationwide with this who deal with depression and other problems. You know, the ABA study in 2017 said that 28% of lawyers in the last 12 months from when they were surveyed had a problem with depression. That's four times the general population. But I think the other significant number, and it was a survey of 13,000 lawyers, so a big one, I think it was about 42% said they had had a problem with depression over their legal career. So almost half the lawyers, which is like, I think, double the lifetime risk factor, deal with depression. So there's something unique about the legal profession, about the people maybe who go into law that explains that. What explains that to these high rates is the unique, well, oftentimes lawyers are very, uh, they're perfectionist. We're rewarded for being perfectionist as lawyers and we're detail-oriented, but also pessimism is a big problem. We learn to see things pretty negatively and problem-solving. So those things are part of being a lawyer, but if you have other risk factors, that they could spell trouble. We are here today having a wonderful and vital conversation with Dan Lukasik, and we are now going to take a short break to thank our sponsors. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Welcome back. We're pleased to be here with Dan Lukasik, Judicial Wellness Coordinator for New York State, as he talks with us about mental health within the legal profession. So, Dan... A question, do you believe the stigma surrounding mental health problems is an issue for lawyers today? I do, but I would say this. I think as I've talked to law firms around the country or different CLEs, I think that there's a generational collision where people, law firm leaders, even group leaders or lawyers over 40 kind of not are as open to this dialogue and grew up in a different time where the stigma load was much higher, like me. But younger people, I think, especially below 30, their first 10 years, but are much more open, feel less stigmatized in terms of getting help. 
I gave a talk to first-year lawyers, and one came up to me afterwards and said, you know, this is great, Mr. Lukasik and everything, but I want you to know me and my friends don't have a problem taking medication, don't have a problem going to therapy, talking about it amongst ourselves. We do have a problem in the workplace. So that's where we get the rubber meets the road about what firms can do, you know, to create a healthier culture. Because you could do all the self-help things you can, and that's necessary. But if you walk into an environment that is toxic or does not support these principles, you're not doing the lawyers a favor. You're not doing your firm a favor. Dan, what self-help tips do you have for lawyers who might be dealing with too much stress, too much anxiety, or experiencing their own depression? I think that a lot of lawyers are sometimes, especially lawyers over 40, loathe to go to psychologist, a therapist, or a psychiatrist. What I suggest in that instance is they go to their family doctor who are trained to diagnose these conditions. And I think that that's a good starting place to have that honest conversation with your family doctor. Counseling is often a good first step to begin to unpack exactly what the problems are, you know. And I think that from there, some people, some people benefit from uh, medication. I certainly did. So I think from the next step beyond, once you feel better, I think, you can't maybe do some of these things in the throes of depression or anxiety, but things such as how to stay well. I mean, I think that's where well-being comes in. And for me, clearly, it's mindfulness meditation has played a big role. The second thing is the practice of gratitude. And there's a specific way to do that that I, I talk about when I give lectures. I think the other thing in the last six months that's been important to me is the practice of self-compassion. There's a, there's a whole arm of research about this, that we don't need to be self-critical, as lawyers usually are, to be productive. And then finally, I'll say a support group. I started a support group for lawyers 15 years ago, Lawyers with Depression support group, and now you know it's, it's still going strong. And I think the advantage there is that these conditions can be very isolating and lonely, and when we feel nobody understands, it actually fuels depression and anxiety. So we come together confidentially. It's all lawyers. They're all dealing with these issues. So I think there's kind of that immediate connection that is important. So those are my, my top five or six ones. What can law firms do to help? Well, you know, that's a good question. And I think, you know, it's like, what can individuals do What can for self-help? I mean, we have to start with plotting out what makes most sense for not only individuals, different things work for different individuals, but also law firm cultures. You know, what works for a solo might not work for a big firm and vice versa or a medium-sized firm. But I do think it's true for the firms beyond, you know, more the medium to large firms is creating the infrastructure in the form of a well-being committee. And as I've talked to firms, I say, listen, you have to have that because that is what's going to carry the ball moving forward. It has to be a structured strategic approach because, you know, if I come in and I, I do a CLE for the firm and you check that box and then nothing happens, 
it's not going to do much good. In my experience, it's demoralizing to a lot of the lawyers. You know, they get their hopes up that the firm cares about this, but then someone like me or another presenter leaves and it's back to the same old, same old. So I think, you know, it has to have the same importance as other committees at the firm, you know, tax committee or, you know, commercial real estate committee, given its level of importance and its impact on lawyers in the firm. So what would those people do? They would take a kind of an assessment or the temperature of the firm, what's working now, what's not working, what are the major stressors? And then they would begin meeting, I suggest, you know, every month, but if they can't do that quarterly, and then trying to determine what would be realistic, practical, what would make sense for that firm. It's different for every firm, but without the infrastructure uh, driving it forward, nothing changes. And that requires leadership because leaders are the ones that have the power to create these committees. And the committees have to be populated not only with young lawyers, but management, people who have some real skin in the game and power to uh, drive change. Dan, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, you know, a well-being committee and firms because I've had young lawyers tell me as they're job seeking that that is something they're actually looking for, you know, on a website or asking about in an interview to help determine how passionate the firm is about their well-being and what that might look like going forward. Do you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners today about this really important topic? This is what I'd like to say. I think I'm cautiously optimistic in the sense that I think on an individual level, lawyers have more resources and tools and discussion on this topic globally and nationally. It seems everywhere you turn, there's a new article or podcast or presentation on this important topic. So I think that's great. I think that the more difficult issue, but vital issue is what our legal organizations do. Not only law firms, but lawyer assistance programs, which are critical in helping lawyers, law schools, bar regulators, the judiciary. I think that that is the next big lift we're going to see going forward over the next five years, because People need both. You need to both, number one, a psychologist said the best, one friend of mine said the best thing. He goes, you're not to blame for your depression, but you are responsible for getting better. I think that's true because you could have an organization that you work at who cares a lot about you and mental health, but if you don't do anything about it, you know, you're not going to go very far. And also, you know, if you have lawyers at your firm who are doing what they can to stay healthy, but you don't care about this topic, you know, you're fooling yourself that it doesn't have an effect on your bottom line, on your, your lawyer's productivity, retention, recruitment. So I think going forward, that is the next big change coming over, hopefully, over the next five years. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guest today, Dan Lukasik, for a wonderful program. Dan, if our listeners would like to follow up with you, what is the best way to do so? How people usually contact me is there's a contact button on my website, Lawyers with Depression, or if you Google Lawyers Depression, it'll come up on the first page of a Google search. And on there, I blog about my experiences. I have podcasts and I have guests. There's a section to contact me, and that's the easiest way to do it. Dan, thank you again. 
This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Molly Rands. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS, find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.